what this man did, Jeroboam, comparatively speaking, was trivial compared to the evil of this man known as Ahab. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. It is not easy being a prophet. We think of prophets as individuals who are able to foretell certain events, and indeed many Old Testament prophets did just that. But an equally important role of prophet is to foretell, to declare the word of the Lord to both a receptive and sometimes a non-receptive audience. In the case of the latter, the prophet oftentimes is at risk of losing his life. As we move into chapter 21 of 1 Kings in our study of the prophet Elijah, we're going to find this man of God being told by God to confront King Ahab. Without stutter or stammer, Elijah obeys. As we open today, we're introduced to another godly man, Naboth, who, seeking to honor God, refuses the request of Ahab, and as we will see, he'll end up paying dearly for that. If you're joining us for the first time, we've been in a series on the life and times of Elijah the prophet. Elijah lived in very difficult days, much like we are living in. And we have seen how the Holy Spirit loves to teach godly people godly lessons through other godly people. And Elijah is one such example. He was a man who dared to trust and to believe God in a day where apostasy was widespread, where tens of thousands of Israelites had turned away from the living God. And here was a man who had a passion for the things of God, and he was grieved when God's ways were not honored. And so God honored Elijah. God honored his life. And he is swept up into heaven, as we will study before we're done with this series. Ten messages. This is the seventh of the ten messages that I hope to preach. He is honored as one of Earth's greatest heroes, and without a doubt, he is one of heaven's greatest saints. And first Kings, he suddenly appeared in chapter 17, and we will see him just as quickly disappear. And sandwiched between his entrance and his exit is a record of the incredible mark that this man was able to leave on Israel's history. Now, let me remind you of the context of our chapter this morning. We've seen that chapters 17 and 18 and 19 form a triad of sorts on the victory that God brought through Elijah over the prophets of Baal and Baalism. Chapters 20, 21, and 22 form a second triad on the failure of Ahab as he opposes the word of God. And so if you were here last time, we left Elijah in chapter 19, where Elijah commissions Elisha as his protege. And for the next several years, he is going to disciple this man in great depth. We didn't study this morning chapter 20 because this series is on the prophet Elijah. But it's an important chapter, and you should reference it possibly this week. But in either case, in chapter 20, if you have read it, then you know that King Ahab is dealing with the idolatrous Arameans. And because the Arameans in some ways are even more wicked than Israel was, God chose to give King Ahab victory. And yet in spite of that grace that God showed him, this man continues to live with a hard, unrepentant heart. And at the end of the chapter, it says that he was rebellious and furious when he comes back to his house. Now, that brings us into chapter 21, 
where we find Elijah the Tishbite. With that brief introduction, let me begin by reading a portion of our passage, 1 Kings chapter 21, beginning now in verse 1. Now it came about after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is close beside my house, and I will give you a better vineyard than it in its place. If you like, I will give you the price of it in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. So Ahab came into the house, sullen and vexed, because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and ate no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came, in, came to him and said to him, How is it that your spirit is sullen and that you are not eating food? So he said to her, because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I will give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said to him, do you now reign over Israel? Arise, eat bread, and let your heart be joyful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent letters to the elders and to the nobles who were living with Naboth in his city. Now she wrote in the letter saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the people and seat two worthless men before him and let them testify against him saying, You cursed God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death. So she carries out the plot, then look down, if you will, at verse 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, in the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick up your blood, even yours. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon you and will utterly sweep you away and will cut you off from Ahab and will cut off from Ahab every male, both bond and free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and because you have made Israel sin. Of Jezebel also has the Lord spoken, saying, the dogs will eat Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. Now, the focus of this chapter is on the justice of God. And there are two simple principles that I want us to leave with this morning. Two marks, two truths that I want to burn into your minds today. The first concerns the fact that saved people will pay now. In reference to God's justice, the first truth is that saved people will pay now. Now, the chapter opens where we're introduced to a devout Israelite, a follower of the Lord. His name is Naboth. Again, here in verse 1, it came about after these things. After what things? After the battles that are recorded in chapter 20 that God gave 
King Ahab victory over. It came about after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel. Uh, whenever you see a, a word or a name in Scripture that ends in L, it has something to do with God. L is one of the names you know for God. And the place Jezreel literally means God will sow. It was named as such because it was a very fertile place. It had a vineyard which was in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So this verse informs us that contiguous to Ahab's property was a little piece of land that Naboth the prophet owned. So he comes in fresh from victory from a campaign and he's been successful and no doubt his heart is filled with a sense of pride. And so he wants to go to the winter palace. He wants to take a little bit of a break. Now, if you look on a map, and you can see, as this one will show you, that Samaria and Jezreel are not that far apart. But if you've been to Israel, then you know that there are four different climate zones within that small patch of land. And this picture actually gives you a sense of what it was like. You can go to Tel Jezreel. It's not that far from Tel Megiddo. It's a beautiful spot, lovely spot. You can see why uh, this king would want to go there and get some R&R. Now, we're informed in verse 2, Ahab spoke to Naboth saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is close beside my house, and I will give you a better vineyard than it in its place. If you like, I will give you the price of it in money. So, he's a near neighbor. He looks out his palace window, sees this adjacent property. He wants it. He wants to turn that vineyard into a vegetable garden. And so he offers to buy it. In fact, he offers to replace it with even a better vineyard, or if he prefers to give him cash. And so it appears he's acting very honorably. But he has no idea that Naboth has no desire whatsoever to cooperate with this generous offer. One would have thought that Naboth would have laid aside any sentimental attachment that maybe he and his family had on this piece of property and honored his king. But he's not about to allow this king to have the property. Understand Naboth, as he's painted here in Scripture, he is a God-fearing Israelite. He abhorred what was evil, and he embraced that which was good. And he was not about to take money in order to be disobedient. Why? Because he served a greater king. He served the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10 that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Not money, but the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. A lot of people have sold their souls for money. And you can tell a lot about a person as to how they will respond to money. If I asked you, would you commit adultery on your spouse? You'd probably say, not on your life. I would never, ever want to do that. But if I said, would you commit adultery for a million dollars? Then the place of your heart would truly be seen. And so what Naboth is experiencing here is actually a monetary temptation. And so God records his response in verse 3. Notice, but Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Now his answer does not infer that he's sentimental about this land that his family had had for generations. 
He just was a God-fearing Jew. And as a Jew, he inherited the land. And he knew, as God affirmed in Scripture, that in every transaction, there's a third party, namely the Lord, God who created the heavens and the earth, God who owns the world and everything in it, as Psalm 24, 1 affirms, would be involved in this. And God had given the land to every tribe by an allotment. And the scripture is very clear in Leviticus 25 and verse 23 that the land was not to be sown. You might want to put that in the margin. Let me read it to you. Leviticus 25, 23. The land, moreover, shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine, for you are aliens and sojourners with me. So for impoverished families, as you read the law, you discover that God made some provision for temporary land sales, what we might call today a renting or leasing a piece of property. But it always reverted back to the original ownership. In addition, God spelled out very clearly that the land always had to stay within the tribe. And so twice over, we read this morning that this is Naboth the Jezreelite. So Jezreel is in the area where God allotted a piece of property to the tribe of Ishakar. And when you look at King Ahab and his daddy, that meant he was from the tribe of Dan, which may be very telling as to why he was so wicked in his ways. But God plainly said in the book of Numbers, put out in the margin as well, Numbers 36 and verse 9, thus no inheritance shall be transferred from one tribe for, to another, for the tribes of the sons of Israel shall each hold to his own inheritance. Now, there's no other people on the face of the earth who have retained their land after thousands and thousands of years but the Hebrew people. Yes, they had been an oppressed people. Yes, they were thrown off their land beginning in 70 AD and completed in 132 AD. And just as God said, Christ predicted himself they would be spread to the four corners of the world. But God said at the end of time, he would bring the Jewish people back into the land. And what's so amazing is that the Jewish people are the only people on the face of the earth that live in a land that bears the same name, where the people speak the same language, they uphold the same faith, and they inhabit the same piece of property, this land called Israel. No other nation in 3,000 years could make such a claim. In either case, it appears that Naboth was not an impoverished man. He wasn't poor. And so he's not about to rent it. Number one, Ahab doesn't meet the requirements of the tribe. But God is very much a part of this man's life. God rules this man's life because this man had yielded to the Lord. And understand, I'm sure he recognized that in this day of gross idolatry and apostasy, that even if somehow he were impoverished and he were to sell it to someone within the same, same tribe, there's a good chance he would never see it again because people weren't really obeying the law. And so with a firm resolve, with a fear, a holy fear, a healthy fear of God in his heart, he says, no, I won't do it. Look at verse 3. He plainly says, the Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Now, you could render the Hebrew this way. A curse from the Lord upon me if I sell the inheritance of my fathers. He had a perfect right to refuse Ahab's offer, but more than a right, he had a responsibility. He treasured this land gift that God had given to his family there in the tribe of Ishakar, and he intended that he was not about to make money. 
Even though the king's offer was more than generous, he was more concerned with obedience. And so with much fear of God and little fear of man, he just says no. He doesn't say, well, I need to think about this. I need to pray about this. Listen, when you know what the will of God is, you don't have to pray whether or not you're going to do it. There's just a quick, firm, final, courteous, no way, I won't do it. Added to that, remember, he's living right next door to the king's palace. We've seen that Jezebel and Ahab worship Baal. He has heard and seen the idolatrous worship right next door, not to mention the sexual orgies that would be involved in the worship of Baal. And not on his life was he going to take this piece of property where they had prayed, where they had fellowshiped, where they had read and studied the word of God, where they had many holy memories, and give it to this evil family. He was not going to allow his land in any way, shape, or form to be tainted. Look at verse 4. So Ahab came into his house sullen and vexed because of the word which Naboth, the Jezreelite, had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and ate no food. So he comes home and the scripture says he is sullen and vexed. Or you could render it sullen and angry or sullen and displeased, depending on your translation. He's really pretty childish. He lays on his bed, he's sulking, he's pouting. Why? Because he can't have what he wants. He wants this little adjacent vineyard. He is filled with a blubbering cry of sorts. He turns his face towards the wall. Don't give me anything to eat. He's just a big, big baby. And like so many people today, he's not interested in the kingdom of God and investing his time, talents, and treasure for the Lord. The only thing he's interested in is fulfilling his covetous, lustful heart. But that does not surprise us because Ahab is described as a very evil, evil man. And so here in verse 25, towards the end of the chapter, we read, Surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. Now we've already seen that he has a throne, he has a crown, he has a scepter, but he is really in many ways under the control of his own wife. She is a wicked woman. And the text says here that Jezebel, his wife, incited him. And let me just say parenthetically that a woman, a wife, can incite a man for noble purposes or for sinful purposes. When a woman slumps spiritually and morally, very often, her husband will slump morally and spiritually. They will fall, and there are many biblical examples. Delilah brought down Samson. Herodias brought down Herod. Drusula, Governor Felix. Zeresh, her husband Haman. Many, many examples. And I could say there are many examples, too, in Scripture, where a woman lifts up her husband, and as his helpmate, promotes him into those things that are holy and true. And by the way, this is one of the reasons that God is insistent that there not be role reversal. And in every example in Scripture where there is role reversal, when a man disobeys and he gives leadership as the head to his wife, there's disaster. And that's true. We've seen it in every major Protestant denomination where they said, no, we're going to give the pulpit to women. 
God has a different call for women. He has a higher call and a holy call. And I explained that in one of my messages in 1 Timothy 2, if this is new to you. But when they reverse roles, it was disaster. And so now we have these mainline Protestant denominations that are marrying homosexual people, that are denying the infallibility of Scripture, denying that Jesus is the only way, denying that he's God in human flesh, denying the Trinitary, uh, Trinitarian theology, and on and on and on we could go. But again, there are examples of good. But here's Jezebel, and she masters and she stirs up and incites her husband to do evil. Jezebel, his wife, incited him. And we studied in 1 Kings 16 that he, because of her incitement, made some choices for which God will hold him totally responsible. So in 1 Kings 16, verse 32, it says, So he, Ahab, erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria, and he also made the Asher. He introduced some of his own evil idols. He is responsible for his own sin. Why? Because he listens to her. Thus Ahab, the scripture says, did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who went before him. We often say it's true that a great man is lifted by a great woman. And the corollary is true. An evil woman can drag down a good man. It works both ways. I can tell you by testimony, I would not be the man that I am today were it not for my wife. And 40 years ago today, I made the second most important decision in my life to covet that I would love her until death do us part. And I thank God for what he has done through her. Now, when Ahab steps on the scene, it looks like, you know, the Antichrist has arrived centuries too early. Again, we read in 1631, it came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. You remember Jeroboam, the son of Nebat? He was a, uh, a man who was given the blessing of having charged the first king after the kingdom split over the 10 northern tribes. And God said, look, if you obey me, I will bless you. But he's scared that the people will you know, leave his northern kingdom and go south. And so he creates his own idolatrous centers of worship. And so what this man did, Jeroboam, comparatively speaking, was trivial compared to the evil of this man known as Ahab. But helping to drive this decision is his wife, for the text says he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal. You can hear the word Baal in his own name. He's a worshiper of Baal. Some think that he actually introduced and invented Baal worship. He married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshiped him. Baal worship, it's lethal. It's destructive to the nation, and it's especially destructive when the king has his own in-house evangelist, namely Jezebel. And so she wants to establish a beachhead for what is wrong and what is evil and what is satanic. And in her mind, look, this is what my daddy did, and this is my call as Baal's evangelist. And so she is infinitely more evil and daring and reckless in her sin than her husband Ahab, but she will incite him to evil and so what does she do? Well, we're going to see this morning, she is going to commit 
a heinous evil act against an innocent man. Why? Because she's given herself to idolatry. And when you give yourself to idolatry, you often give yourself to demon possession. People who deal with demon possession in some nations of the world are dealing with people who are first idolatrous. And when they open the door to idolatry, as Paul explains in his first letter to the Corinthians, you open the door to being demonized. Look again at chapter 21 and verse 25. I just want to read it to you one more time. Surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. I want you to burn that thought into your mind this morning as we study this chapter of Scripture. Now, back to verse 4. So Ahab came into his house, sullen and vexed, because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away in his face and ate no food. So he stomps off, flops down on the bed, turns his head towards the wall, and he says, I'm not eating. Now, I'll try not to make any modern-day applications to anyone here, but I want you to see that what he is doing, he's throwing a little fit. He's acting like a big baby. I want that vineyard for my vegetable garden. And the Scripture says that the eyes of man many times, especially a lost man, are never satisfied. It's especially true if you let your heart become covetous. Look at verse 5. But Jezebel, now enters Jezebel. Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, How is it that your spirit is so sullen that you're not eating food? She wants to know why he's so upset, why he has gone to bed when it's not time for bed, and why he won't come down for dinner. So he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I will give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Notice her response here in verse 7. Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now reign over Israel? Do you understand what she's saying? Are you the king of Israel or aren't you? Are you a king or are you a wimp? Are you going to let some local yokel grape farmer have what you deserve? Look, my daddy would have never allowed such a thing. He was king and you're king. You're not subject to the law, Ahab. You are the law. That's the essence of what she, this evil woman is hammering home. So notice with, I'm sure, a devilish anger in her heart, she says, arise, eat bread, let your heart be joyful. I will give you the vineyard. And in the Hebrew text, that's the portion that is emphasized. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. And so her covetous evil plan begins to unfold. And next week, we'll look at the wicked plan of this horribly wicked woman. To listen again to today's message, use the Search the Scriptures app or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program ELI-7. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll look at the devious plan Jezebel comes up with to secure Naboth's land. Join us then as we search the scriptures. For thousands of years, no place on earth has been more precious to God's people than the land of Israel. It was here that God first chose to bring the Messiah 
and it is where he will usher in his second coming. Nothing compares to visiting the places you've only read about. For those serious students of the Bible, a trip to Israel adds depth and interest to every page of Scripture. Search the Scriptures Israel tour is far more than a vacation. It's a spiritual journey that will impact your faith in an intense way. I'd love for you to go with me to Israel September the 28th to October the 8th or October the 7th to October the 17th. If you would like to have information, you can go online to stsisraeltour.com. The price is inclusive for everything. Airfare, hotels, three meals a day, tips, everything. 